Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and this is now episode 53. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the Warriors and Nets game for a little bit, the Clippers and Lakers, but what we're really going to talk about is how much of a threat the Nets are and the keys to success for the Los Angeles Clippers and if Curry can carry this Warriors team to the playoffs. Then we're going to give some trade packages for James Harden. We're going to talk about Giannis's contract extension and players who didn't get a contract extension, such as Lonzo Ball, John Collins, the younger players that were heading into, you know, their second half yeah. of their careers. But okay, I mean, look, first of all, we're going to talk about the Warriors and Nets briefly. NBA opened up last night, and I watched the Warriors and Nets game. I thought it was going to be a better game. But it just turned out into the Nets dominating. Yeah, and, and I try to be as unbiased as possible. As you know, I'm a Net fan, and, and I love my team, and that's always going to be like, you know, I'll, I'll always have the rose-colored glasses on when looking at them and analyzing them. It's impossible to not have that when talking about your team, I feel like. But you watched that Nets team last night, and I get it. The Warriors are not the same team they've been the past few years, but I just... I, I don't see how anybody can stop that team defensively. Kevin Durant, watching that guy night in and night out is going to be like an early Christmas present because he just makes the game look so easy. And then on the other hand, you have Kyrie Irving who makes it look so difficult, but yet he is so efficient. And those two paired together with Joe Harris and Landry, Landry Shamit who could shoot the three lights out. And then, you know, you have other role guys like Karis LeVert coming off the bench who... I think is going to be the sixth man of the year if he continues coming in off that bench role because when you put him in with that second unit, it's essentially the team that you brought into the bubble last year. And he played so well in the bubble. So if you could get that production out of him off the bench, you know that'll be his award to lose. And the depth is crazy because beyond the second unit, even when you get into garbage time, they have essentially a team of playoff guys guys from the playoff bubble last year who would be in the rotation in most other teams around the league. You know, guys like Tyler Johnson who can Chioza. play a role for someone. TLC. Bruce Brown is going to get no minutes. Yeah, he's exactly. a, he was playing starter minutes for Detroit. And the good thing about that is I said it in our in our preseason preview. I don't think that Kyrie and KD are going to play every night. You know, back-to-backs, back to you could essentially chalk them up as missing one of those two games. And it's understandable you know, with this short off season and them coming off such crazy injuries, you yep. want them to get their rest in. So on nights that they do sit, you could still run out a starting lineup with Dimwitty, Levert, Joe Harris, you know, DeAndre Jordan, Torian Prince, and then coming off the bench, you got guys like Tyler Johnson, Chioza, TLC, um, you know, even a guy like Reggie Perry, Bruce Brown. So there's a lot of depth on that team and it gives them the opportunity to take their rest during the season. And I'm I'm really impressed by the chemistry because that was a problem coming in, but it actually has seemed like, although it's only been pretty much two weeks into the season, all these guys actually like each other. And, you know, you see them giving the game ball to Steve Nash last night after his first one. They seem like a, a tight-knit group. And, you know, we, we have no idea because we're not in the locker room. We can only tell based on what we see. But they seem like they're really putting it together. And if they do that and they stay healthy, they're going to be a problem. And like you said, they looked they looked dominant. And what impressed me the most is that, is one, Steve Nash. I think some of the sets he had out there were genius. The lineup, Dinwiddie starting, I think that was, 
that was genius as well. Get another playmaker in there. Because Karis LeVert to me, when you were talking about him winning six men of the year award, um, I I was actually very hesitant if he was gonna even come off the bench. I wasn't sure, but when he did come off the bench and I saw him play yesterday, I don't know if it's just me, but I saw a young Jamal Crawford. Yeah. I saw a young Jamal Crawford the way that he just gets to his spot. His handle, his handle is quirky. It's not a, it's not smooth, but he has good handle, even though it looks a little weird. Yeah. He looks out of control a lot of the times. He is in control. And I think, yeah, he can win six men of the year. When I think of this Nets team, the, the question mark I had about them is how is KD gonna come back? And obviously, you know, when you look at the when you look at the stats, like the box score, he shot seven for sixteen, but it didn't feel that way. No. Like he had twenty two and it felt like every single time down the court, he was gonna drop a bucket. And then Kyrie looked flat out unguardable. And then you look at you look at I mean, their bench. In the preview, we talked about their bench, but when seeing it, I'm like, wow. I don't know what team can stop them. I, I think they should, after watching the game yesterday, it, it may just be recency bias, but I think no team should be favorites over them in the East, and I think they should be favorites to win the championship because that depth is so crazy. Yeah, and especially like the team – that would really concern me is the Los Angeles Lakers. And I know they didn't look great last night and we'll talk about them, but they have Anthony Davis and he is such a tough player to guard because personnel wise, it's like you put a big on him. They don't have the foot speed to keep up with him. And you put a a wing or a guard on him and they don't have the size to guard him. And so that's a concern defensively, but I was impressed with the defense last night and this could kind of shift the conversation to the Warriors a little bit, but against the team that, you know, with Steph Curry is always going to be difficult to guard. They ran some interesting sets at Steph Curry, and you know he put up solid uh, a solid box score, I guess you could say. But they neutralized him effectively, and they made other players beat them, and they didn't do that. So I was impressed with the the defensive tactics from Steve Nash and how they utilized to to get the best out of a, I guess, weak defensive unit. You could say. And you know what's the thing too is that. The only threat that they really have in the West is the Lakers that yeah. we could say in like the Clippers. I don't think the Clippers can master depth. I think I the agree. Clippers were losing a series. The Lakers are the only team only because of LeBron. But when you look at it, you have KD to guard LeBron. That's always going to be a fun matchup. It's always going to be a fun matchup because yeah. both of them are going to go at it. But then you also have DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen to clog up that paint. Yeah, to clog up that paint and guard Anthony Davis in spurts. I mean, both of those guys can do a pretty good job. AD will still do what he does, but they'll do a pretty good job. But then you look at the Lakers and who's going to guard Kyrie? KCP, yeah. Dennis Schroeder. Like, that's going to be the point guard matchup. Caruso as well. And then you still got to account for Dinwiddie or Levert. Yeah, you know. so I, I just – the Nets have so much depth, and it's not even just KD and Kyrie. Obviously, they take that team over the top. But with that depth, I feel like they're going to be a team that – is virtually unbeatable, and they're going to look unbeatable throughout the season. I still want to see how they look like against the Celtics on Christmas and how they look like against a team like the Bucks, who can defend and are very yeah. versatile because it was just the Warriors. Coming into the year, I had the Warriors being better. I mean, it's just one game, but based on what I saw last night, I'm like, wow, they can't play <laughs> with Curry. That like was they, concerning. It, it, looked, it looked really bad. Everything looked off. 
and yeah, I want to see them against a better team, but I, I do think that even against these better teams like the Bucks and the Celtics in the East, even the Heat, they're going to look this good in spurts. Like I, I still believe that they'll look this good. Yeah, and, and one of the biggest concerns coming into the season for the Nets was what was KD going to come back as, and that's why I feel like talking about them like this is not as much overreacting to one game or just a preseason two games it because all you really needed to see was one game to see what KD was going to come back as, and he's shown throughout the two preseason games and now on opening night that he is – you know, maybe not the same exact guy he was, but he's still at that level, a top three player in the world. And it, it's really tough to guard him and tough to guard Kyrie. Yep. Putting that together with the supporting cast around them, they're going to be a very tough matchup. And You know, you know this is going to sound like a hot take, but when you compare this team to a, like a 73-9 and nine Warriors team that had KD, um. Clay, Curry, Draymond, and Iggy. Call me crazy, but I don't think it's that far off. Like, I don't think it's that far off because the Warriors' problem, I mean, not the 73 and 9, not that team. The, the team that they had KD the very next yeah. year, they didn't have any bench depth. Like, it was just their starters doing the most of the work, and they had to show up every game in the playoffs, especially, well, just in the playoffs, honestly, because the regular season, they just cruised by. In the playoffs, and now you, you saw how it could have kind of got neutralized when the Rockets played them. They forced KD to ISO. They took him out of the rhythm in the offense. But when you have a team like this, that you have two superstars in KD and Kyrie, you have a borderline all-star in Dinwiddie, a, a guy who's been runner-up for Defense Player of the Year in DeAndre Jordan, one of the better rebounders and rim protectors in the NBA. Then you have Joe Harris, a knockdown three-point shooter, 40%. And then your bench is Karras, a guy who on a bad team could could put up all-star numbers yeah. and get votes to be an all-star. And then, I mean, you you got so many guys like Shamit, like 40% from three. All these guys, you have two superstars in your lineup, a potential all-star, and then you also have an all-star on your bench, and you have a bunch of bench depth. So I don't think it's crazy to say that, that a team like this, like if, if you want longevity – I'd rather go with a team like this than a team built of like KD, Curry, Clay, and Draymond because I think based on what I saw yesterday, their chemistry was on. Yeah. And as much as people wanted to make a whole fuss about what Kyrie's doing, he's obviously just been working on his game and and having a peace of mind, most importantly, and it showed because he really played phenomenal. Yeah, and a lot of people like to hate Kyrie because he is a weird guy. And I don't think anybody, you'll never get an argument that he is a strange guy. I think he would admit it himself. He's different. I, I he's, think, he's not yeah, normal. Yeah, and, you know, I just think that Kyrie is different in his approach and how, how he approaches life, which is fine. You know, uh, when you have so many eyeballs on you, it looks that way. But there are a lot of people that are like Kyrie that yep. don't have that many eyeballs on them. That's why nobody really cares. But, you know, when you're getting paid that much money, everybody's going to talk about exactly. you. Exactly. And at the end of the day, me, Kyrie can do whatever he wants because as long as he's winning and he's doing good, then it doesn't really bother me because this guy has donated to charities. He's in his community. It's not like he's just saying this. It's not like he's Michael Porter Jr. when he said <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. said that he thinks that the vaccine is going to, like, depopulate the earth. You know, he's not doing hot takes like that. Kyrie does does have his things, but as long as he's doing what he has to do professionally, I don't think any anybody should really have a problem with it. Yeah, and as much as 
everybody in the media has tried to make him out to be this bad guy. You look and even the the worst situations that ha- have been made out to be, you know, his fault. LeBron, every time he sees LeBron, they dap each other up. It's no problem. Kevin Love was tweeting about him last night. Where they go back and play the Celtics in the preseason and everybody goes to Kyrie after the game. They're swapping jerseys. They're hugging, you know, laughing, whatever it may mm-hmm. be. So, you know, everybody wants to paint this picture of him. But sometimes situations just don't work out. And that happens in life. But it's not like these bridges have been burned. It's not like, you know, when KD and Westbrook played for the first time and they were yelling at each other walking off the court. So I feel like... Now they dab each other up, though. Exactly. I just feel like it's been made out to be something it's not. And like you said, as long as he's playing well and it's not putting a wedge or a divide between the team, which it clearly hasn't to this point in the season, I don't care if he goes out and... Curses off the media every day after practice. You know, as long as he's playing good basketball and is being a good teammate, then I have no problem with it as a net fan. You know, I I want to throw this hypothetical question before we end this segment because I I put it on my story and I put it on Twitter for people to vote on. And I I want people that are listening to the podcast, whether it be through a, a podcast hosting platform or YouTube, to answer this question. So I thought in my mind, okay, the Nets bench is so good. Is it better than a starting lineup? And then I thought, the Knicks starting lineup. Is is the Nets bench better than the Knicks starting lineup? The Nets bench is Karis LeVert, Landry Shamit, Torian Prince, Jeff Green, and Jared Allen. The Knicks starting lineup is probably going to be Alfred Payne or Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, Alec Burks, Julius Randle, or Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel. What team... What team would win in the seven-game series, the ben- the Nets bench or the Knicks starting lineup? I'd go with the Nets bench. It actually is. now that Like, I was laughing at first, but now that you say it and I think about it, it is actually close. Because I don't, close. I don't know, depending on what R.J. Barrett is this year, I'll say based off of last season. The best player between those two teams is Karras. Exactly. There's nobody in that Knicks lineup that could match what Karras is going to bring. And and the Knicks lineup has Julius Randle, which is a net negative. So, yeah, yeah like it's very close. I, I don't know who would win in that matchup because you look at Jeff Green. I mean, Jeff Green is a guy who, when he gets hot, he could take over a game. He looks he against the Celtics and last night he looked great. And I don't understand how at this age he can still be as athletic as he I, is. I, I'm gonna be honest. When he went to the Rockets last year, I thought it was a great move. I'm a very avid Rocket watcher and viewer. Like, I watch a lot of their games. I'm a fan of them because of James Harden mostly. Jeff Green stood out every single game. He was one of the most, if not the most, consistent guy outside of Harden in the Rockets' playoff run. This guy, Jeff Green, against OKC was phenomenal. Against the Lakers, he did his thing. Like, Jeff Green, when he went to Houston, he played lights out. Like, he was the most consistent guy. Even over Gordon. Gordon was very inconsistent. Westbrook, we know about his troubles. Daniel House was, he was like the third most consistent. And then like, Robert Covington was kind of streaky. Jeff Green flashed. And he really he really gave life to the Rockets. And I feel like he'll do that same thing for the Nets. He's capable of having star games. Yeah, I'll compare him to, me and my dad say this about baseball players all the time, a professional hitter. 
You know, there are certain guys who just get to the veteran stage of their career and they're no longer the player that they used to be, but they've been around the game so long. They've been students of the game. They're hard workers. They keep their body right and they know exactly what they have to do. And it just seems like they always do the right thing. Yeah. And he's just one of those guys that has just been a student of the game. And now he is that veteran that you want in your locker room. And one of the best parts about it, he was with Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City. So, you know, bring that pair back together and they've done a good job creating a locker room environment where you know there are a bunch of good relationships and I I really don't see any fractures and I get it it's been one game but even last season you know reports came out but it never seemed like there was problems in the locker room Mm -hmm. so so the Nets blew out the Warriors that was a team that they, they demolished and watching the game I think we can all agree that the Golden State Warriors the team looked very it looked very messy. I think that's a good word to, to, to put it as. It didn't look like it fit around Curry. I don't even know if, if having Draymond in that lineup would have made even much of a difference. But the question that a lot of people are wondering, and something that's going to probably stain Curry if he doesn't end up doing this, is can Curry lead this Warriors team to the playoffs? We, we've seen stars before. Russell Westbrook in 2017 after KD left lead that OKC team to the playoffs. We've seen James Harden before Dwight Howard with Jeremy Lin and uh, Chandler Parsons and not a very good team lead a Rockets team to the playoffs. We've seen superstars lead their team to the playoffs, and now people are looking at Curry and say, saying, do the same thing. Yeah, Do the same thing. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate for him because the West is so stacked this year, so it will be a tough task for anybody. But the biggest problem for this Warriors team is – For the past five years or so, we've heard everything about and we've talked all about Steph Curry's gravity. And he's got the most gravity in the league. I think that's fair to say. You know, what what he he totally changes the defense and and how they scheme. And you saw what the Nets did last night. They were essentially running a box and one face guard on him. That's a high school defense. You don't see that in the NBA. But they did it and it worked. And if there is any team that should be susceptible to getting demolished by Steph Curry it's the Nets all they do is play man-to-man go underneath screens switch everything that should be a field day for Steph Curry but all they had to do was make one small adjustment and he was essentially neutralized he put up 20 10 and 4 but he shot 7 of 21 he did not play well at all 10 from 3 and he did not look like himself and the problem is like I said we've spoken about Steph Curry's gravity and rightfully so but one thing that has been majorly downplayed is Clay Thompson's gravity Because just as much as Steph has, he has the same amount of gravity and he causes the defense to change just as well. Because when Clay is on the court, you can't box in one Steph Curry. You know, you could try a triangle in two, but that's not working against an NBA team. So that makes it such a tougher assignment to guard. Draymond is not changing the defense like that. I I like Draymond. He's a solid role player and he was a great number three and number four piece for them. But he's offensively just not changing the defense in the way that Clay would. And Clay's not coming to help them. So who's going to be the guy to step up? Is it going to be Andrew Wiggins, who looks like he has almost taken a step back, not not made any progress in becoming the player that we thought he would in Golden State? Is it going to be Kelly Oubre? You know, I like Kelly Oubre as an option, but he's not Clay Thompson. He's not going to change the way a defense game plans. James Wiseman looked good late, but it just seemed to me at times like he looked like he was in slow motion. Like, he's got to catch up to the NBA speed and fast, and he didn't have any preseason to adjust. It looked last night like he was a little lost out there, you know, in the middle of the ocean with no life vest. 
for the beginning of the game. And although he looked good late, it was in garbage time. So yeah, he he basically he didn't have a good game. I mean, I, I don't think that I, Wiseman in the box score showed that he had a great game because nineteen and six it jumps out. Most of those buckets were late, early. Not only did he look lost to me, I thought he looked very clumsy. Yeah, he uh, for, just looks so slow. For, for a second overall pick, I, I'm not expecting that. For a second overall pick, I'm expecting you to to be there, be confident. It, it felt like he was clumsy out there. It did feel like he was lost. And you talk about Wiggins and Ubre, and before I talk about them, I'll talk about Clay for a little bit. I mean, Clay changes their whole their, the whole dynamic of their offense. When you talk about the Warriors. They revolutionize offense in the way that now every team wants to go five out, right? But the great thing about Golden State is that in their prime, in their heyday with not even KD, with with Curry, Clay, Barnes, Draymond, and Bogut, they never had five out, a five out lineup. They played small, that's about it, but they never had five shooters on the court at the same time because when you have Curry and Clay out there, they basically account for for having five shooters on the court at the same time. You know, when they set so many screens, now two people got to come up to make sure they don't shoot, and that leaves one guy open, so you always have a numbers advantage. But when there's just one shooter, because I don't think Wiggins is a shooter. He's not no. a shooter. He's a very streaky, inconsistent shooter, like 34% for his career. He shot two for six yesterday, four for 16 from the field. Looks bad. Wiggins was horrible yesterday. Then you look at Ubre. He's not a shooter. He's more of a slasher that can shoot if he gets hot. But he's not a he's not a pure shooter. He's very inconsistent. So you look at Wiggins and Ubre, they're not shooters. You look at Wiseman, even though he has a nice 15-footer, he can step out at times. You don't trust him taking a lot of threes. He's not a shooter either. And Draymond, we know that he when he when the Golden State was with KD Clay and him that was the guy getting left open, and he and he didn't disappoint because he would miss a lot. You know, teams would keep leaving him, leaving him open. So this team is made up of guys who can't really shoot. Curry is the only one. He's going to face these defenses all year long, and I don't think that the bench can make up for it either. Kayvon Looney, Marquise Chris, Brad Wanamaker. Maybe if they got Jeremy Lin, that would have been huge. Jordan Poole, maybe he takes a step up. Kent Bazemore isn't too bad, but... It just it looked bad out there for the Warriors, and I said this on Twitter. I said that I think Stephen Curry is like an Anthony Davis type of superstar. Not that because I, I think he's better than Anthony Davis, but I didn't in his prime. I think Anthony Davis might have the edge right now. Yeah. I say that when I say that Anthony Davis never carried the Pelicans to the playoffs consistently. He did for a year or two. That's about it. When everybody was healthy on the team, but he didn't carry them consistently. But we know when you put Anthony Davis on a winning team, their ceiling skyrockets because of his defensive versatility, how great he is offensively. That's the same thing for Curry. He's not gonna he's not gonna ISO like James Harden thirty times a game and give you forty. He he needs a team around him to, in a sense, build the offense around him when he runs around these screens and they know how to play with him because he was open a couple times yesterday and they just missed him because they don't know how to play with him yet. He lifts a team ceiling up. But he cannot lift a team that is in the bottom of the barrel to to a um, relevancy. Yeah, he I, can't do it. And you mentioned the name that I was going to bring up, James Harden. I think that personally, Steph is a better player than James Harden. I think it's a toss up, but personally, I take Steph Curry over James Harden. I think that Steph is a, a at his peak a top five player in the league talent wise, but his play style is just not built 
to carry a team. Like he's not a LeBron, he's not a James Harden where you can give him the ball and, and say go win a game because defensively he's much easier to neutralize. I feel like individually if you key, if you isolation, key in on him, yeah, yeah, than a James Harden or a LeBron or somebody like that, even a Kawhi. Where you know you could just give them the ball, and no matter what defense is thrown at them, you feel like they're going to get the job done. And I just don't feel that with Steph Curry without Klay Thompson around. And you know I, I'm trying not to overreact to this first week of the season, but there are some real big red flags for the Warriors. See, what I think is that, and and it's not a bad thing to have to be that player that you can't carry, even though you make a team ceiling higher. And I say that because... It's only a few guys that can do it. I say that because the two guys in the league outside of LeBron that we think of in terms of carrying teams to the playoffs are James Harden and Russell Westbrook. What is something that we talk about when we talk about both of them in terms of their their how they are as players? What is their fit? Where can Why didn't any team trade for a former MVP in Westbrook? No team was interested. Why? He can't fit. He can't fit everywhere. James Harden, why are the Nets and the Heat so hesitant to pull the trigger? Because how is the fit going to be like? They're not a puzzle piece. They are the puzzle. Exactly. Like, how is the fit going to be like? When when you look at Curry, if he was on a trade block right now, I think he'd be gone already from Golden State. Anybody would trade for him. Because he fits anywhere. Yeah. So, Curry, you don't have to worry about fit. But with these guys that can carry teams like Westbrook and Harden, you have to worry about fit because they're the guys that are kind of doing most of the bulk of the work. And so that's why I don't think it's totally a bad thing. But then again, you said it. It's just one game. And it was against potentially the best team in the NBA, yeah. that the best team this season that's going to be in the NBA. So we have to see them against teams like maybe an Indiana or, at, or an Atlanta or teams that are kind of like the Timberwolves, uh, the Utah Jazz, different teams that are kind of going to be in the lower seating of the Western and Eastern Conference or even in the middle of the pack. I think even though this game looked horrible, we still have to see more to really make a judgment on whether Curry can lead this team to the playoffs. Yeah, and I had them at nine in my preseason preview, and I feel pretty good about where I had them at. I think they're going to be a nine or ten seed. I think they're going to get in that play that play in game, maybe up to an eight. But I don't see them being in that top crop of Western Conference talent because you know you look at the teams that I had ahead of them: the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Blazers. I don't even see them close to those teams right now. And then you have the Rockets, who they have all the problems in the world, but. Just speaking solely basketball-wise, I don't see them close to the Rockets. The Mavericks with Luka, the Jazz, the Suns, and then even teams behind them like the Pelicans. It, it's going to be tough for them to you know, find their way into that pack. The key for them is if Wiggins can hit open shots and so can Oubre. Yeah, Wiggins needs to step up. For me, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day because Oubre, like you said, is more of a slashing type and he'll do a great job defensively. He'll rebound for you. You know, he he's kind of like a better Draymond in my eyes. No, but hell no. You don't think so? I don't think so. I don't. Maybe offensively, but like in terms of like all around oh, player. No, 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 that's what I, I mean. Okay, like okay. offensively, he brings okay, more okay. to the table offensively. But he'll do everything for you in spurts. He doesn't do everything better than Draymond does, but offensively, he's a little bit better than Draymond. But he's still not going to add an extra element to that offense. He, he'll be a nice piece for them, but the guy who needs to step up and change the, the, the dynamic of the offense 
is Andrew Wiggins. He's he's the second guard in a system that is built to have two really good guards in it. And he's he's the guy that's been there since last year, so he's the one that should adjust the best. Oubre is just getting in here. So Wiggins, he's been here for a year. You know, he should already be ready to go, and yeah. it looked like he wasn't. But I, I was laughing last night when Chris Webber said that he liked Andrew Wiggins' demeanor. Meanwhile, for his entire career now, the mark on him has been he's one of the laziest guys in the league. It was his fault that Jimmy Butler got ran out of Minnesota, and we see how that went with Jimmy going to the, I love going to the finals. I love Chris Webber. He's a, he was a superstar player, but he's a bench warmer. He, he's, not, he's not a good analyst. He's, he's really, really bad sometimes. Sometimes I'm watching it, and I'm like, that's so obvious. It, it, it just concerns me that Andrew Wiggins is still the guy that we thought he was, and, and he was in Minnesota. You know, he was supposed to be Maple Jordan. He's got all the talent in the world. Nobody's ever questioned that. And he can go he went out and got buckets in Minnesota just because they were a bad team and he had the ball a lot. But at the end of the day, I just don't think he's a championship player. I don't think he's a, a playoff type player. I just think he's a guy playing basketball aimlessly with with no real work ethic. Because if he had the work ethic, he'd be an all star caliber player right now. So after the Warriors and Nets game, the game that happened was the Clippers versus the Lakers. It was the last game of the doubleheader. And the Clippers pretty much had firm control of this game throughout the game. The Lakers made a late comeback, but then the Clippers made a late push to further the lead even more. Thanks to Paul George. Paul George had 33 points, 13 for 18, 5 from 8 from the 3, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists. Ibaka made his debut. He chipped in 15 points, 2 for 3 from the 3. And Kawhi didn't have his best game. He shot 10 for 26, 1 for 8 from the 3, but he still had 26 points. So after watching the game, everybody, of course, there's two people. There's two types of people. There's the people that are saying that it's just a regular season game and who cares, you know, because at the end of the day, the Lakers won a championship. And there's the other side of people that are really impressed by this win. They see potential in this Clippers team. So just for you, what do you think is the key for the Clippers to have success this season? And by success, we all mean winning a championship or at least getting to the Western Conference Finals. Well, it's going to come down to the two guys that everybody's been talking about, Paul George and Kawhi, and that's what it came down to last year. I feel like they could have easily closed out that Nuggets series if those two guys would have performed in games you know, 5, 6, 7, but it just seemed like they could never put it together, get on the same page, and close it out. And had they gone into a series with the Lakers with those two guys playing at their best, it would have been a great series, but it just comes down to can they do what they had to do last night Paul George was lights out, especially in the second half. He got off to a bit of a slow start, but in the second half, he w- he literally showed he was one of the top dogs in the NBA, and that's the player we know he can be. He played in an MVP level in Oklahoma City. Everybody likes to laugh at it, but he did, and he was that same guy in Indiana too, so we know he has it in him. But since coming to L.A., it's just been hit or miss with him. You just don't know what you're going to get on a given night. So can he do what he did last night in the second half consistently? If he can, and Kawhi, even though he had an off night last night, he he was still pretty solid. If him and Kawhi can have a performance like they did last night consistently, even if it's just one of the two of them being on, I think they'll be a force to be reckoned with in the West. But the problem is that they don't. You saw they had a little lull in the second quarter and beginning of the third quarter where neither of those two were stepping up, and, and they were getting destroyed by the Lakers, and the Lakers weren't even playing that well. 
You know, for me, I think there are two keys for the Clippers to go far this year. I think it's one, like you said, Paul George. Paul George has to play like a star or superstar caliber player. He needs to play like a top 10 player. Simple as that. And not just in the regular season, in the playoffs. He needs to play like a top 10 player in the playoffs. The second key to their success, I think, is getting a point guard. You know, I yeah. still I still think that they need a point guard. You know, two guys that I, I think they could possibly get is Derrick Rose. His name has been floating around for about a year to go to the Clippers or Lakers now. Just to get traded out of Detroit, to be honest, they should be going full out and fire-selling their team yeah. at the deadline because, you know, what else are they going to do? And I think another team that could possibly, another player that could possibly go to the Clippers is George Hill in Oklahoma City. You know, they're probably, they don't need him for the whole year. They're probably going to ship him off by the deadline. And I think the Clippers should go out and get George Hill. He's a 44% three-point shooter. He can run, he can run the team well. And what a scenario would it be that the, the player that the Spurs traded to draft Kawhi now is going to be teaming up with Kawhi in the Clippers. I think it would be a, a cool scenario, but they need a point guard. And that's, I think that's the reason why they started Nicholas Batum because Nicholas Batum isn't the player that he once was, but what Nicholas Batum reminds me of, and this may be a little bit of a stretch because in his prime, he was a very good player, but I think Nicholas Batum fills in that Hito Turkoglu role, role that he had with the Magic back in the 2010s teams because but even though he's not as great as a shooter, Batum is a kind of a streaky shooter even though he could hit it. But you know Batum's going to rebound. He's going to get assists. He's going to he he has a potential to run the offense. He's a point forward. Yeah. You know, he's not worried about the stats. In Charlotte it was a weird fit cuz you're paying him star money and you're asking him to score 20 points a game when his game is more in 9-5 five, and 5. Yeah. You know, so in the Clippers, now he can play within the offense. He can just do everything. He's like He's like a great value Draymond, you know? He just does everything. Yeah, and he's been looked down upon because of that contract that he got in Charlotte. You know, everybody kind of had this idea of him because of what he was getting paid, and the output didn't match that. But he's not a bad player by any stretch, and he he was their best playmaker on the floor last night, setting guys up. He had six assists, which led the team, and it's a glaring weakness. And it was a glaring weakness coming into this offseason, and the fact that they didn't fill that was very surprising to me, especially after their star players were coming out and talking about how they lacked a playmaker. It it was pretty weird that they didn't go out and get one. But like you said, there's going to be playmakers on the market throughout this season. You mentioned two of them, and I'm sure there will be others. It would be malpractice if they didn't go out and get one because they need it. Yeah, Patrick Beverly is more of a pest defender, a spot-up shooter, he worked well with James Harden because James Harden was the true point guard of that team. Pat Bev was more of the shooting guard, and he would just kind of feed off of what other guys did. But he's not a playmaker, you know? So I don't know how they're going to get a point guard. They're probably going to have to trade one of their key players like Lou Will or maybe even Pat Bev. It's going to be tough, but they got to get a point guard, and I think that's what's going to be the key to their success because when you look at this team, if you have a lineup of Batum, Kawhi, George, and Ibaka, which was their starting lineup basically yesterday, I mean, Batum, Kawhi, and George can switch on every anybody. Yeah. They're very good defenders. We know Paul George and Kawhi are elite defenders. I say Batum is a, is a very, very good defender. And Ibaka, he's versatile too, and he's a good shot blocker. And 
He just fits their team so much better than Harold because he could step out and he could shoot shots. We saw him yesterday, two for three from the three. And in Toronto, he was a very good three-point shooter. Yeah. And that's what they needed because Harold provided none of that spacing. He looked great last night, too. A perfect fit. And, and you mentioned all the reasons why he's a better fit than Harold. Even if Harold might be considered the better player, maybe. I, I think, don't think so. I think that Ibaka is a much better fit for this team. He, he provides some spacing and also interior defense, which killed them last year against the Nuggets because they couldn't guard Nikola Jokic to save their life. And then when they started throwing the doubles, that was when Jokic picked them apart and it killed them for the last three games of the series. So now adding in Ibaka not only gives you a, a, a different dynamic offensively, but changes the way you're going to defend teams with elite big men too. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. So I think the Clippers definitely got better, but it's just that one point guard role that they really need. And I think Batum can do a pretty good job at it for spurts in the game, but I don't think he can be that consistent playmaker. If you have a true point guard with Batum out there, I think that's a team that can be really good because, like I said, Batum is not a bad player. He's more of a he's more of a nine five and five guy, nine six and six guy. He's gonna get his assists and rebounds. He's a good playmaker. He has high basketball IQ. They just need another guy to be alongside him and be that true point guard. Yeah. And how they're gonna do it, I'm not sure. They're gonna probably have to pull something off. We know Jerry West is a mastermind in that, so we'll see what they do. But I think their keys to, to the keys to their success this season are Paul George playing at a star level, and ultimately just getting a point guard. Yeah, and, and it's going to take a full season out of Paul George and Kawhi because I don't love their depth either. They had four guys come off the bench last night and play 20 minutes. Patrick Patterson, uh, Zubach, Lou Williams, and Luke Kennard. And beyond that, you know, I don't see anybody else that's going to come in and make an impact. Cobb Jelly, Reggie Jackson, who only played three minutes, Terrence Mann, Amir Coffey, you know, I don't think any of those guys are going to come in and give you meaningful minutes. So it's going to take those guys being on every night, not taking those superstar rest nights. And that's what it's going to take to have a good season because they don't have that Nets type depth off the bench where they could take a night off. You know, those guys are going to have to be on for what is it, 71 games, I think they're playing this season. 72. So it's going to take a full season out of those two guys. And if they can get that, they'll be a top team in the West. James Harden is, uh, there's reports coming out of James Harden. I think he might miss this game because of COVID protocols. He was at a club and all this. We know that there's been a lot of dysfunction with the Rockets and James Harden to start out this year. And I think it's in everybody's best interest if James Harden just gets traded like he wants to. But, of course, the Rockets have to get value for him in order for him to get traded. So in this segment, we're going to put together our best trade packages for James Harden, I actually have four teams, four potential teams that can trade for him. I'll go first in talking about the Miami Heat. What's your four teams before you go? The Heat, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Raptors. Gotcha. So I think the Miami Heat, one of the trade packages I see is that the Heat get James Harden and P.J. Tucker. I think a lot of these trade packages you should add in. You should want to ask for P.J. Tucker just because he's a glue guy. He's James Harden's best friend. He's a BR Kicks champion. So I think Miami Heat get James Harden, they get P.J. Tucker, and the Rockets get Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, Kelly Olenek, and a future first-round pick. That's not a bad – I would take that in a heartbeat if I was the Heat, just and, talent-wise. And the Heat have also said that they have stopped talking with the Rockets yeah. 
because I believe the Rockets are asking for Bam as well. And that's one of the biggest problems, you know, before we keep going into trade packages with the Rockets is they're asking for, for so much. much. And with everything that James Harden has done and said over the past few months, if you had tried to pull this off at the beginning of last season, I think you would get more of the value that you're looking for. But with everything, all the antics and, and you know, whatever's come out over the past few months, his trade value has just plummeted, not as a player, but just as a guy you want yeah. or don't want in your locker. And the Rockets should just be happy with getting a young star, honestly. Just get a young star, but they're asking for too much. They want Hero and Bam. You're not going to get that. You know, you should be fine with just getting Hero and Kendrick Nunn to pick. I think that would be a perfect deal for both sides. Yeah. My first team that I think would have a pretty solid chance of trading for him is the Denver Nuggets. And I'm not sure exactly how they would make the money match, but with Gary Harris's big contract, you could match that with a guy like Michael Porter Jr. and maybe one of those nice bench pieces and, and a couple of picks. I think that would be a solid deal. You know, the Rockets are able to bring in a guy like Michael Porter Jr. who I think he has all-star potential easily. It's just he needs to get the minutes and get the touches, and I don't think he'll necessarily get that in Denver behind Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. And the Nuggets add a guy in James Harden who would just add another versatile scoring option to that offense. Wow, that, that's, a, that's a good one. I, I don't know. That's weird. That's a weird fit with and, Harden and Murray. And they had been one of the names that have been floated around recently. I think a report came out two days ago that the Nuggets, the Raptors, and the Celtics had inquired about him. Mm. But there was just preliminary talks. Wow, that, that would be a good... Maybe, I think, if I'm the Nuggets, I'll, I'll do the best I can to keep Porter Jr. Yeah. And instead put, like, Bull Bull in the deal. That would be that would be an interesting piece yeah, to like throw Bull in Yeah, like Bull Bull in the deal and I'll throw in some picks. But that's interesting. The next team I have is the 76ers. This is an easy deal. I think the, the Rockets get James Harden. I mean, the Sixers get James Harden. And the Rockets get Ben Simmons and two first-round picks. You can't ask for too much when you're getting a, an all-NBA defender and a consistent all-star in Ben Simmons when you're trading for a disgruntled super, superstar. You know, the Rockets do not have the leverage to ask for anything else in a deal with the, the Philadelphia 76ers. And the 76ers have said that, why are we going to give you all of our assets when we know your player wants to leave regardless? Yeah. So, you know, if you can get Ben Simmons out of the deal, a star player... You do it. And if you're getting picks on top of that, you do it. You don't try to ask for so much more. Yeah, and, and I'll go with a similar deal. Now that you said the Sixers, I'll also say the Sixers. Ben Simmons going. And then I would also add in one of those guards that they have in that rotation, maybe a guy like Shake Milton, now that they have Tyrese Maxey that can the slide in point guard role and, too. and can bring in a point guard for the Rockets. So I think that would be a good deal for both. And you would have to attach maybe two first-round picks to it. But I think that would be a good deal. Keep the Rockets in contention. And the Sixers get the guy that fits so much better in that offense with a guy like Joel Embiid. And that automatically makes them more of a contender in the East in my eyes. So the next team I have is, of course, the Brooklyn Nets. I have the Nets getting James Harden and P.J. Tucker. And I have the Rockets getting Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, and Bruce Brown. You know, Bruce Brown, who's not going to get any minutes for the Nets, I think on a team like the Rocks, it can be their their 3 and D wing defender. He's not that good of a three-point shooter, but he could be their wing defender. And just a young guy that you can possibly put in the rotation or not. But I think Karis LeVert automatically becomes their starting two guard. He has all-star potential. Jared Allen 
can be the backup center or starting center. You can play Christian Wood, Jared Allen, Eric Gordon, Karis LeVert, and John Wall. I think that would be a good team. You'd have depth with Torian Prince coming off the bench as well. And you get, you get, I think, you know, the Nets could trade that, that, those players in a first round or second round pick. You know, I don't think they need to put in so many picks, but I think this deal makes sense for both teams. You know, Karis LeVert can be an all star if he gets the touches, and the Rockets will still be competitive and they'll be getting picks for the future. So at this point, the Rockets just have to look to get some players in return because. For James Harden, picks are not going to do it. You need a player as well. Yeah, Out of all the deals that I've heard with the Nets, that might be the one that I like the most just because you keep your picks, you keep a guy like Dinwiddie, so even if the worst-case scenario, everything blows up in your face, you still have some pieces that you can build around there. I don't think because – oh, sorry to cut you off, but I don't think the Nets will trade Levert, Allen, and Dinwiddie. I agree. I I I I think it's two of those guys – same thing with the Lakers and the Pelicans when they dealt for Anthony Davis. They traded Lonzo and Ingram. They didn't trade Lonzo, Ingram, and Kuzma. Yeah. It's going to be two of the three guys. It's not going to be all three. Yeah, I agree with you. And this next one I saw was kind of interesting. And I don't know if the money would match. I made my own changes to it. But I have the Warriors giving up Wiggins and Wiseman for Harden and Tucker and, you know, maybe – they need some picks to match that and, you know, throw in a player to match the money. But I think that would be a good deal for the Warriors. You bring in Harden, who gives you that second scoring guard that they're lacking without Clay in the rotation. And for the Rockets, you get a guy in, you know, I don't even want to say Wiggins is that much of a great asset. But, you know, Wiggins is a solid player. And then, more importantly, you get Wiseman, who was the second overall pick, has all the potential in the world. I think that that would be a good value to get back for a guy like James Harden. If I'm being honest, if I'm the Rockets and I hear a Warriors offer and they're offering me Wiggins, I'm hanging up the phone. <laughs> I'm I'm, hang, I'm not even going to entertain the conversation. <laughs> but my next team is, I think, the Toronto Raptors. You know, I have two trade packages for, for the Rockets and the Raptors. Um, The Raptors would get James Harden, P.J. Tucker, and DeMarcus Cousins. The Raptors, I mean, the the Rockets will get Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and two first-round picks. I think the Rockets get a young star in Pascal. They get a guy in Fred Van Vliet who will score 20 points per game. And the Raptors get Tucker, Harden, and maybe you don't even have to throw in Cousins. I think Cousins just makes the salaries work. But I think just Harden and Tucker would work. And I think this would be a good deal for both sides. You know, Toronto gets that superstar because even though Pascal is a good player, he's not that superstar. The next package I have for the Raptors is just Harden for Siakam and Norman Powell, straight up. Harden for Siakam and Norman Powell. And I don't know how far that team can go because the the thing that makes the Raptors so special is that they have a bunch of depth and a yeah. bunch of grit, gritty guys. You know, so if you're giving up Siakam, you have no four. Unless you moved um, OG to the to the four spot, but you don't really want to do that. And now you have no six man because Norman Powell is your six man. So it'll it'll be a weird deal, I think, for the Raptors and I think for the Rockets. The Rockets is a great move because you get a six man and Norman Powell could play yeah. the point guard and to point guard a small forward, and you get Pascal who could be the four next to Christian Wood if you put him at the five. But I think for the Raptors, this is like a lateral move. You don't really. I don't think this puts them as a favorite to win a championship. Yeah, I I actually really like that move for the Rockets. I think they good they get good value back for James Harden as good as you really can at this point. 
But like you said for the Raptors, I don't know how much better that makes them. I feel like James Harden would be in a similar situation to what he was the past two or three seasons. You know, it would be him and Kyle Lowry or Van Vliet, just like it was him and Westbrook and him and Chris Paul almost against the world. But one of the next teams that I want to talk about is the Portland Trailblazers. And I think it would start with C.J. McCollum. And I was thinking a guy like Gary Trent could be the second piece in that deal and then attach a pick or two to it. And I think that that would be an interesting deal for the Trailblazers, bringing some more offensive firepower. And you put yourselves right up there with the Nets in the category of teams that have so many weapons, they'll be very tough to guard. And I would love to see that Dame and James Harden pairing. Yeah, I think Dame and James Harden with Melo, Covington, yeah, Nurkic, Nurkic, that can be a favorite in the West. Like Defensively, they'll have trouble, but in terms of offense, they can match any team. Now you have Harden and Dame, who are both top 10 players, top top 7, debatably. Harden, I think, is top 5. Dame is like cracking at top 8. Yeah. I think they that would be a really good move. And But for the Rockets, you get CJ, and then who else, though? Because CJ is basically doing what Harden does at a very low, low yeah. at a lower level, and he's like thirty. Yeah, that was the thing. I didn't know exactly what pieces they could throw in because I don't know exactly what value they have in their young guys or their picks. But if they could find a way to make a deal work around CJ, because that would make the salaries work, I think that would be a great move for the Trailblazers. Maybe not as much for the Rockets, but interesting. Maybe maybe Anthony Simons and like Harry Giles. I mean, guys Nasir like Little. yeah, like Nazir Little, like young guys, probably that that it would they'd have to get. But yeah, I mean, it's gonna be hard to trade for Harden because not only is he getting a massive salary, but the Rockets at this point are being very greedy. Yeah, like it, it's like I think deals that are that are good deals. Not that I have this knowledge, but it it sounds like they're turning down a lot of good deals because they want the greatest deal of all time ever for a superstar player. And that just doesn't happen. You know, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I and I get it. You want to get the value for your guy, but it takes a perfect storm. And I think that they're getting too hung up on looking at what other teams have gotten for superstars. Like, you can't look at what the Thunder got for Paul George and think that that's a reasonable expectation to ask for back. That was the perfect storm because the Clippers knew they needed to make that deal to get Kawhi Leonard. So they would have given up whatever the Thunder wanted. And that's why the package was so big for Paul George. And it helped that it was the offseason. There was a lot of time for them to gel. So I just don't see them getting that big of a haul back. And one of the teams that I looked at and I thought would have been a good destination was Boston. But when I looked at it, there were no packages that I could make work because I don't see the Rockets saying yes to anything that doesn't include Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. Yeah, and I don't think the Celtics want to include Jalen Brown. The thing, exactly, the thing about and they this, shouldn't. The thing about this, the Rockets and James Harden is that any team that wants to trade for James Harden has to take into consideration two things. One, his age, right? He's getting older. He's getting past yeah. his prime right now. Also, another thing is that you don't make a deal for James Harden unless you think and you're confident that if you make that deal – you can win a championship. The Raptors, I don't think they'd be confident they can win if they made a deal for James Harden. Miami could. The yeah. Nets could. You know, the Philly, they could. But I think Philly's thinking about it more so if we have Simmons, Harden, and Embiid, yeah. we can win. But is there any way to pull off exactly. that deal? It would have to start with Tobias Harris. You'd probably throw in Matisse Thibel. Yep. 
So exactly. And Denver, they're probably not even thinking they're so confident if they get James Harden. So the only real realistic options are the Nets and the Heat and the Sixers a little bit. But the Rockets. I, I like the promise of that Nuggets deal, though. I think that they have enough good young pieces, especially starting with Michael Porter Jr., that they could figure something out. And if they add it, although it would be a strange fit and they would have to figure out that, I like Mike Malone to figure out a situation where Jamal, James Harden, and Jokic could work. Yeah, so it's just, it's weird right now. The Rockets are in a tough position, but I think if you can get a Tyler Hero in a deal a Ben Simmons or even a, a, a duo of Levert Dinwiddie or Levert Allen or Dinwiddie and Allen, you pull the trigger and you make the deal. But obviously Houston has other thoughts in their mind and we'll see if a deal does get made. Yeah. And I'll say not to take anything away from James Harden as a player, but with everything that has come out, I would definitely be skeptical if I was a general manager, you know, I would be worried pulling the trigger on a deal for James Harden, giving up so many assets, especially with the asking price that the Rockets have right now. With everything that's coming out, that's a huge risk. Although it's a high-reward type situation, it's a huge risk, and that's something that you could lose your job over if you get it wrong. Yep, so the next topic we're going to talk about is Giannis signing a Supermax extension, five years, $228 million extension. We can talk about this briefly about you know, just how good of a signing or move this is for Giannis. Personally, for me, even if he doesn't win a championship, I like this because I saw the interview he made the other day where he basically wanted to sign because he didn't want to have the pressure, not on himself, but on his teammates and his teammates getting asked about it the entire year. We've seen how that causes rifts in teams. Like it caused it with Kyrie and the Celtics. It caused it with KD and the the Warriors and even in OKC, and Giannis didn't want that. And I, and I like this because he remained loyal to his team, and That's rare. He, didn't, he didn't feed into the pressure of signing elsewhere just to win a championship. He chose loyalty, and overall, I think this is great for the league because now you keep the competitive balance in flux. You're not creating super, super teams. You know, two stars and a bunch of bench players, That's a that's a great team. But now when you're putting two all-star, superstar-level players together. Now that's a super team. Yeah. I think that's a little like unfair, to be honest, for me. So I think it's it's good for the overall complexion of the league. The Bucks are now going to be competitive for years now, and they lost a lot of picks in trying to keep Giannis happy. So if he would have left, that would have been a bottom-of-the-barrel franchise. And now, I mean, let's see if the Bucks can make a run. But overall, I love this move because Giannis – decided to remain loyal and didn't didn't choose to do the trendy thing. Yeah, I was very happy to see him stay in Milwaukee just because you look around the last couple of years, the first example that comes to mind is obviously LeBron. You could look at Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma City. Even a guy like Gordon Hayward after having an all-star season in Utah, leaving Utah. There's so many examples of big-time stars, big-time names leaving their small markets for more promise elsewhere, and I get it. But this Milwaukee franchise did everything they could for Giannis. There was nothing more they could have done to surround him with talent. They sold their future to go out and get Drew Holiday this offseason. They tried, they broke the rules to try and go out and get Bogdanovich. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was not for a lack of effort if the talent wasn't there to win a championship. They were trying their best to do that. And I think that Giannis did the right thing, rewarding them by coming back. Um, and also, like you said, with the competitive balance, where the league is at right now, I think is a great spot 
there's not any team that I can see that has more than two stars or superstars. And almost every team has two stars or superstars, except a few at the bottom. But it, it gives it a good competitive balance where in the West, we could see pretty much 13 teams making the playoffs. And the East, we could see probably 11 or 12 making a playoff push. So I love where the league is at. And Giannis staying in Milwaukee keeps it there. The one thing I will say, I would not be surprised if at some point towards the end of the deal, if they have not won a championship, if he ends up asking for a trade. Yeah, being maybe in a not a James Harden situation because I don't think it'll get as ugly as this James Harden situation has, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up asking for a trade towards the end of the contract if they still haven't even gone to the finals. I think a finals yeah. appearance would keep him happy, but you know, he wants to win and if he isn't seeing that, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go elsewhere. And that's something that the Cavs never did for LeBron in his first stint. They didn't try as hard as they can to get talent to come to Cleveland. And people might be saying nobody wants to go to Cleveland. Well, who wants to go to Milwaukee? Yeah, like you, you know, you get to play with one of the best players in the league. That's the allure. Yeah, so I mean, they didn't do all they could to get to get LeBron to stay. That's why I think LeBron left. I think the KD situation was different because OKC yeah. was a Western Conference Finals team, one game away from going to the finals. KD left because KD left, and I think still is looked at as one of the weakest moves in NBA history. Yeah, and if you remember that offseason, because I remember on draft night, they make a trade to go out and get Victor Oladipo coming off a, a blossoming season in Orlando when he was really, you know, rising up as a player. And I said, man, that could be a really scary team yep, with Westbrook Oladipo, Durant. They still had Steven Adams. So that was a team that was going to look really good that upcoming season. They did everything they could. They drafted great. They had Westbrook. They had so they drafted they, Sabonis. Yeah, they drafted Sabonis, who would eventually end up being in that Pacers trade for Paul George and Stephen Adams. They would have had a really nice team, and then even Gordon Hayward. I feel like they did a pretty good job surrounding him with talent in Utah. So if they if it would have been Hayward and Mitchell, yeah, that would have yeah, been a Gobert, pretty good duo. And yeah. Gobert, so probably would have filled that like Bogdanovich role that he's filling in now. Exactly. But you know, it, it still would have been a better team. But yeah, I, I like that Giannis is doing this because. The Bucks, like you said, they did what they did to keep him, and Giannis rewarded them because he's like, okay, you're trying, and that's all I can ask for, you know? Because Giannis realizes that right now he's, what, 25 years old? LeBron didn't leave Cleveland until he knew he couldn't win there. Yeah. He didn't leave until he was like 28, 29 it, it took, in his prime. It took two contracts, yes, and them doing the, the best deal they made to get a talent there was Shaquille O'Neal at... 34, 35 mm-hmm. years old. And who else did they bring in? Antoine Jameson. And to be, fair, to be fair, KD left on his second contract too. Yeah. But it's just about where he went. Yeah, that, exactly. that really matters the most. But yeah, I mean, Giannis, Stang, I think this was a great move. I mean, hopefully the Bucks can win because they haven't won a championship in a very long time. And I would like to see Giannis win. I feel like he's very underappreciated for what he does. And it's crazy to say that because he's, he's coming off an MVP season. But... You know, he gets kind of, uh, I, I compare him to Lamar Jackson. I feel like they were so hyped up last year when they won the MVP that now they've come in the next year, and while they're still doing great things, it's just people want to see them win, even though there are a bunch of factors that go into it. It's not just, you know, Giannis winning basketball games. It's the Milwaukee Bucks winning basketball games. But I want to see him win a ring just so the disrespect would stop because he is an incredible talent. Giannis is disrespected because of his playoff performances. Even though he's not that bad in the playoffs and defense really key on him on the playoffs, yeah. 
that's just how people are. If you don't win, then they're going to bash you. Same thing with that. I have this debate with like Matthew Stafford earlier on today and how people disrespect Stafford because he doesn't win either. I mean, sometimes great players don't win and it's not a bad thing. It's a lot that goes into it. I've heard people say that Giannis is easy to stop, which is just the most ridiculous thing. Well, he might, he might be stoppable. It takes an incredible game plan and incredible execution of that game plan to slow him down to the point that he won't beat you individually. Because even last year in the playoffs against the Heat, they slowed him down enough that he didn't beat them individually, and that meant he was still putting up 26-10 and 10 on over 50% shooting from the field every night. So yeah. I feel like he's super disrespected, and I would love to see him get the credit that he deserves, and that will come if he wins a championship. Giannis got his contract extension, and there are a few players that didn't get their contract extensions, their rookie extensions, past the rookie contract. I'll first, before I go into those guys, I'll talk about the guys who did. Jonathan Isaac signed four years for $80 million with the Magic, even off of an ACL tear. Derek White, four years and $73 million. Felt like it was kind of an overpay for Derek White. I like him as a player, but... When Ozzy and Nunaby, the next guy on the list, is getting four years, $72 million, and I think he has way more potential than Derek White, it's kind of an overpay. Luke Kennard got four years, $64 million. Markel Fultz, three years, $50 million. And Kyle Kuzma, three years, $40 million. So what I can see off the bat is that the Magic are trying to keep their young core together and see you know, how good they can be. Markel Fultz, last year was basically his rookie season. His first year that everything, you know, he was, he was stable. You know, everything wasn't a complete mess around him. So let's see what he can do to build off that last season. And now players who didn't sign an extension and their extension was declined were Lonzo Ball, John Collins, Jared Allen, Zach Collins, and Lori Markinen. So which player are you more surprised by that got a contract extension or that didn't get one? I was, I was pretty surprised that the Bulls did not give an extension to Larry Markin. And I guess the thought process behind that is let's see what he does this year in a new system. But I thought that this new regime was going to be high on keeping the young talent that they have. But I guess they're looking at this season more of a prove it season than, you know, thinking they can really go for a playoff spot this year. So I think that speaks to towards what they're doing. One of the players that I was not surprised about was John Collins, just because I think he's going to be dealt at some point this season, because you look at what they have, down low, Gallinari, they drafted Onyeka, they have Clint Capella, they have so much depth down low, I just don't see them paying John Collins, so I feel like he's going to be dealt at some point this year. I'm actually surprised by that by opposite reasons, because I don't know why they wouldn't keep John Collins. I agree. You know, I, I think that Gallinari's good, but he's older, he's very injury prone, and I think if the, the the Atlanta Hawks do end up dealing John Collins, it will be one of the worst mistakes that they will ever make. Because you look at when the Pelicans try to surround Anthony Davis with talent, they rush to it. They rush to a conclusion. They got Drew Holiday. They got Tyreek Evans. They got Eric Gordon. Three of those guys, I mean, two, two of the three of those guys were constantly injured. Everybody was constantly in and out of the lineup. And now... You give up a young player when they went out and signed when they went out and traded for Demarcus Cousins. You give up Buddy Hield, who was turned into a twenty point per game scorer, a sharpshooter, who who would fit around Anthony Davis's game better than Cousins. And basically, you just rushed to a conclusion. You gave out contracts, and because of that, the Pelicans got stuck. 
and had to eventually end up dealing Anthony Davis. And now the Atlanta Hawks, like, okay, you may not be winning now. Trey Young is great right now, so you want to win now. But Trey Young is going to be great next year and the year after that. Right now, the the Dallas Mavericks, because I think they're looking at the Mavericks and they're trying to compete with them. The Mavericks had something in place, right? They had, and honestly, I'm not even going to go as far as saying that because Lucas rookie year, the Mavericks were pretty bad. But the Knicks were foolish enough <laughs> to to give up their starters. I mean, look, we did not only give up Christos Porzingis. Tim we gave up Tim Hardaway Jr. It's the second best piece in the deal. Who's their starter, who's, their, who's starting on their team right now. Trey Burke, we gave him up in the deal as well. Oh, wow. And Courtney Lee, who Courtney Lee is, isn't even playing, but I think he's like a role player caliber player in the NBA. So they got Trey Burke eventually left and came back to Dallas, but you got Tim Hardaway Jr. who was starting. Kristaps, who was an all-star superstar talent when he came. He came back healthy and Luka. So they had something in place, right? Atlanta Hawks, they're built differently. They have a bunch of young players that are trying to build together. So when you go out inside Bogdanovich, you take minutes away from Cam Reddish, yeah. who who everybody thinks has star potential. You have DeAndre Hunter playing, which that's good, and he looks improved. But now you sign Gallinari, and because of Gallinari, you want to ship out John Collins, you know, instead of having your young group grow together. Like, for me, I think the future of the Atlanta Hawks is, like, if our my dream scenario for their starting lineup in the future would be Trey Young, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Onyeka. That's those their guys once yeah. they develop. But instead, you want to bring in a bunch of veterans, and I get it. But I just, I just, I think this this move and them trying to jump the gun I, is I, going to cost them. You, 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 because now is not the time to do it. Exactly, there's you, too many good teams. You took the phrase right out of my mouth. They jumped the gun and they went out this offseason. And I said it in the preseason preview, they spent like drunken sailors. They they had no regard. I feel like for who they were bringing in, they just said, let's bring in all the talent that we can, fit be damned, and we'll figure it out when we get there. But now you look at it, Bogdanovich played some four last year for the Kings, so if you want to say he's a four, you have Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Collins, Bogdanovich Onyeka. is 6'3". He played some four for them last year, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, if he did, that's ridiculous. That's why Luke Walton has to get fired. <laughs> but he's like, he's 6'3". Well, nonetheless, they have a log jam down low. I would trade Capella before I traded John Collins, but I don't know what they're thinking, not wanting to pay John Collins. I mean, I I see what they're doing, and maybe they extend him in the offseason, and I'm wrong, but I guess they're banking on Onyeka coming in and now taking that spot of John Collins, but Gallinari's not a long-term option. I feel like Capella's not really a long-term option, so... If anybody was going to get dealt, I feel like it should be Capella. They're obviously not going to trade Gallinari. They can't even if they wanted to with that 60-day signing trade exception or whatever it may be. Um, But I agree with you. I think that would be a big mistake, and I think they just went for it too early. You have so much more time for Trey Young to grow. Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter haven't even scratched the surface yet, and John Collins is a guy who, if you paid him this year, you have five years of him growing into a potential all-star talent at the four. He put up great numbers last year, and that's with missing 20 games at the start of the season. You know, who knows if he plays those 20 games? They might be in that race for the eighth seed. They might be a both be better. team last year. But. They'll, they'll be better, but there was they would have still been bad. DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish were both rookies last year. Initially, it's their sophomore season. At least give them until their third or fourth season to try to make these drastic moves. 
when you try to do it so fast, I think that might potentially hurt them in the long run. Yeah. And I disagree, though, with, with one thing you said. I think Clint Capella is a long-term option. And, and that's why it surprised me that they drafted Onyeka. Because I, I think Capella was a long-term option, that he signed for like three more seasons. And I think he fits Trey Young in terms of just pick and roll and catching lobs and playing defense. He's a good defender, a good rebounder. So I think he fits. He's a young player as well. I just think that they just they should just keep this team together. Just let this team grow together and at least and and you know just let this team grow together. Maybe they're just waiting out to sign him later in the offseason or later in the year when offseason starts cuz that's always a possibility cuz yeah. we know with all these players whether it be Ball, Collins, Allen, Zach Collins or Markinen, their contracts can be matched. They're restricted free agents, not yeah. unrestricted free agents. So maybe they want to see what's out there in the market for John Collins before they jump the gun and offer him a crazy amount yeah, of contract. That's a good point, but I feel like if he gets out there, he's going to get a, a good amount of money from somebody. But, you know, I I question where they go now. They can go over the salary cap to sign John Collins, correct? Yep. So it would be a mistake to let him go, but I feel like it was a mistake to bring in Gallinari in the first place. Even though I, I, like, I like it. I like, I like it. the veteran presence that he brings. It, are they going to play him as a three, you think? He's coming off the bench. Okay. You I, know, I, I, I don't think it was a mistake. I just think it's a mistake that if they were they're, go, they're if thinking they, about not bringing back John Collins. If they were going to go and then draft Onyeka, then I don't know why they spent all that money to go out and sign Gallinari. And then they're also going to have to extend John Collins. And they have Clint Capella. It's just like I feel like they're investing a lot into those big men when they could have used that money maybe that they spent on Gallinari to find a better start somebody. They could have been in talks for James Harden maybe if they hadn't made that Gallinari deal. But That would have not worked. No, but I, the point that I'm making is I feel like they just threw money out there because they wanted to compete now when it might have been smarter to just hang on to that cap, you know, bring in more guys on smaller deals. Like they brought, I thought bringing in Rondo was a really nice addition. Brought in some veteran presence. He was cheap. He can come in, play some defense off the bench, and, and be a little mentor for Trey Young. Like that's the deals I feel like they should have been focusing on, and I just feel like they they went for it too quickly. And although I think they are going to be in that playoff discussion this year, I don't see them competing for anything. Like I, they're not in that top six. They're not a championship Conference. team, exactly. So I just feel like their direction got a little murky with their off season. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if John Collins does end up getting a long contract from the Hawks or he goes to another team. But, I mean, he's a good player if he defender, but we'll we'll see what the Hawks do from here and how their season is going to go. Yeah, and one of the other players that signed an extension but it wasn't a rookie extension is Rudy Gobert, yeah. which we I had talked about it in the preseason predictions that I didn't think that they were going to bring him back and I thought that they were going to trade him. Now they sign him to a five-year Supermax. I was pretty... I shouldn't say I was surprised by it, but I questioned the deal. As much as I said it was important for them to figure out the situation, I feel like they really overpaid him, and that deal is going to hurt them down the line because he, unless he learns how to shoot the three ball, like Brooke Lopez totally changed his game late in his career and turned into a stretch big and can still defend. If Gobert can do that, it changes the dynamic of it. But right now, with what he is, he's not worth the money that they gave him. The thing about Gobert in Utah is that, you know, yeah, he may not be, he's not worth the money that they gave him, but at the end of the day, 
what other option do you have outside of paying him? You're not going to have guys. You're not going to get. You're not going to get a Rudy Gobert in free agency. You're not going to get a star in free agency. So it's they have point. to homegrown. They have to homegrown talent, and they homegrown Rudy Gobert, which is why they probably had an incentive to keep him even more. So I mean, it is what it is. Utah wasn't getting a star player, so even though I think they did overpay him, you got to look at the situation and say if we don't pay him. We're not going to be a good team. It's a good point. I would love to see him learn to stretch out his game and, and get around the three-point line and learn how to shoot the ball because if he did, that would add a whole different dynamic to that team. Yeah. So this is going to do it for this episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. This is now episode 53. This is a short one. We recorded back-to-back. Yesterday we recorded around the same time. Uh, but after the Clippers and Lakers game and the Nets and Warriors game, we decided to just do a basketball episode today. We were going to do one regardless, so, you know, we'll probably, our next episode will probably be next week. We'll talk about football, then after that, we'll talk about the uh, another basketball episode, yeah. but, you know. Merry just, Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Enjoy Christmas. Your holiday. What we're trying to do is, we're trying to just rest, because we know the holidays are coming, and yeah. we've been working a lot, two episodes a week for the past, I don't even know how long. So, yeah, just thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for tuning in. I just checked the stats. We're at, at like, 271 podcast downloads this month. Crazy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And that's not even counting the YouTube numbers and our views on YouTube. That's podcast included. You know, that's a lot. So we appreciate you guys for tuning in. As always, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter or Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast. On Twitter, it's Pick Aside Pod. And if you guys want to donate to us, you can look us up on Patreon.com slash pick aside podcast and if you guys are listening on youtube or on spotify you can find us on youtube and you can find us on spotify or apple Podcasts on pick aside so thank you guys for watching have a merry christmas and happy holidays to all of you and we'll see you next time